0: This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. So the title of this message tonight is The Simple Gospel. Now, I want you to look in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And I want you to look in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. What that verse right there means at the end, it says, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Paul said. If you believe the right gospel, it will do its job if you do your job. The job of the gospel is to save, the job of the person is to believe. It is not my job to save, it is my job to believe. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. It is my job to call. On him, it is his job to save me based on the response to that call. And I often tell people the greatest assurance of salvation is to ask one question Did you call upon the name of the Lord in faith and believe? And if they say yes, I'll say, Then you did your job. Therefore, it is God's job to save you. And this is what I say in the transaction of salvation. Did you do your job? And they'll often say, yeah, I called on him. And I say, well, if you did your job in salvation, what makes you think that God's going to be the only one in that bargain that does not hold up his end of the agreement? And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you do what the gospel has told you to do, and you believe it like I preached it to you, he said, then it'll do. It's job." verse number 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, it's an interesting little thought right there in the book of 1 Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul said that the three greatest things in this life are faith, hope, and charity or love. And each of those three greatest things has a corresponding chapter in the Bible. If faith is a great thing, then the great faith chapter of the Bible is Hebrews chapter number 11. And if love is a great thing or charity is a great thing, then the corresponding chapter that would be 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. So then if faith is covered in Hebrews 11 and love is covered in 1 Corinthians 13, the other great thing is hope. Faith, hope, and love. What is the great hope chapter in the Bible? It is the chapter that we've begun reading in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. This, this chapter, it begins in hope. It has hope all through its melody. And it ends with hope. Because the last verse of the last, the last part of this chapter, it says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in that verse before that, He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. He said, you've got hope in the fact that you will not fall. You've got hope in the fact that you will not flop. You've got hope in the fact that you will not fail. You've got hope in the fact that God is with you. And this entire chapter spans on this theme that the reason you have hope is because Jesus resurrected from the dead. And here is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that if God can defeat death, there is absolutely nothing that he cannot defeat. And if the greatest enemy has been defeated, every baby enemy up underneath that great enemy, it will be defeated. And Paul gets into this chapter, and this is what he says. He says, I want to declare unto you the gospel. Now, it is so uh, fanatical to me and fantastic to me and unbelievable to me that we will write volumes upon volumes upon volumes upon volumes about what the gospel is. And Paul covered the gospel in four verses. Now, I'm not against theology books, I'm not against the, the volumes and all the encyclopedias. But here is what Paul said He said, Don't make this thing more difficult than it is. He said, the gospel is simple. You say, wait a second. I thought the gospel cost Jesus something. Yeah, it did. I didn't say the gospel was cheap. You see, the gospel was very expensive. But the most expensive things in life... Are expensive because they have done the hard task and when you put the hard thing in place it makes your life a lot easier. Look at the iPhone that we all have in our pocket or the Android that some of you people that aren't saved yet have got in your pocket. You see, those things are very difficult to understand. That some of you right now are looking around saying I have no idea what either one of those things are. You got that perplexed look upon your brow right now. And we're looking around and we say, That phone in our pocket has got all types of chips and it's got all types of electrodes and it's got all types of inner workings. It is a very expensive piece of machinery. But if that expensive piece of machinery has been put together right, it makes the life of the holder of that thing a lot more simple. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel was a very expensive process. You see, it bankrupted heaven. It bankrupted God the Father's piggy bank. It bankrupted the Federal Reserve of heaven because he gave his only begotten son. He gave all the treasures of heaven, and he gave it in Jesus Christ. And when God gave everything he had, it made our life a lot more simple. Here's what it used to look like. It used to look like every single year. Three times a year, we had to make a journey to the city of Jerusalem. And three times a year, we had to make sure that we had done the right thing and gone the right places and accomplished the right task in that time. And one time a year, we had to give of the best of our flocks in that city of Jerusalem and just pray that the priest had done his part right and just pray that the high priest had done his part right and just pray that the lower priest had done their part right. And just pray that somehow and some way our little ounce of faith could be covered by that blood of that lamb. And just pray we didn't mess up too bad before the next year. But all of that changed whenever Jesus came and paid the ultimate price. And now here's what he says. He says it's not by the blood of bulls and goats and heifers and animals and oxen that you've been saved. And you've been redeemed. And you've been justified. But by the blood of the lamb of God. And by faith in that lamb and he says salvation can be summed up and accomplished by one way by calling upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved I don't know if you have ever looked at the instruction manual of a cell phone they are so big that they don't even put them in the box you have to go to the website And download the manual. And whenever you read the manual for that phone. If you printed it out. It would be page upon page upon page long. And you look at that long user manual. And you say what is that? That's just like this book right here. This book is so big and wide. We're going to spend all of eternity being taught it by the Holy Ghost of God. And we're never gonna search the bottom of his riches, and we're never gonna understand the fullness and fathom. Even sitting at the feet of Jesus, the Bible says we'll look into his eyes, and we'll see the wounds in his hands, and our hearts will be unfurled, and our eyes will be uncovered, and we'll start to understand better by and by how good our God is. Do you know what verse number one, two, three, and four are? They're that little quick reference map that they put in the cell phone, that little slip of paper. That basically teaches you how the thing works. Touch here for this. Touch here for that. Go here for this. And do you know what they call that? They call it a simple reference. That simple reference to the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians 15 1, 2, 3, and 4. That's why volumes are written on theology. Because you can't get to the bottom of it. But if you just want to understand the simple gospel. Paul says, let me explain it to you. He said there's four parts to the gospel. Number one, the first part to the gospel is found in verse number three. The first part of the gospel is this. God came down. God came down. Down. Watch what he says He says in verse number 3 He says for I delivered unto you that which I also received How that Christ That word Christ It is a picture It is a word used to reference The anointed one The chosen one The one that was made and selected for us Do you know why God had to come down to us? Because we could not get up to God And so when we could not get up to God God came down to us If God had not come down to us, we'd still be dead in trespasses and sins, but God came down to us. If God had not come down to us, we would still be lost in our hopelessness, but God came down to us. And if God had not come down to us, we'd be sitting here right now talking about the blood of bulls and goats and heifers and hoping that we could be converted into Judaism. But we right now don't have to worry about becoming a Jewish rabbi or a Jewish this or a Jewish that. Do you know? Why? Because God came down. You say, When did God come down? I'm glad you asked. Long about 3 BC. The Bible says that in the womb of the Virgin Mary, there was a seed implanted by the Holy Ghost of God. You say, how did it get there? I don't have any idea. All the Bible says is I'm going to put that holy thing inside of your womb and nine months later, you're going to have a baby. There are some things that I absolutely do not understand, but I'm just glad that I've got them. i got a little box in my, in my kitchen. It's called a microwave. I have no idea the inner workings of that microwave. All I know is that when I put my Michelina spaghetti in there and I hit the 30 second button and I hit start there's a process that works behind the scene and it starts shooting microwaves inside of that Michelina spaghetti and before I know it 30 seconds later it's so hot it burns the roof of my mouth and it burns the tongue of my mouth and I don't understand the process but I know it works. I don't understand how a woman not knowing a man never known a man can have a baby but the Bible tells me that the the Holy Ghost put the seed of God inside of her womb, and I believe that it happened, and God came down, and then that day, nine months later, that baby was born in a little stable outside the hills of Bethlehem. You say, how can a baby be born inside of a stable? I don't have any idea. I just know God came down, and then angels sang on the eastern hillside of the hills of Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. You say, how do angels sing on the eastern side of the hills of Bethlehem? Glory to God in the the highest and on earth, peace, I don't have any idea I just know God came down And then three wise men came into the manger And they brought with them gold and frankincense and myrrh You say how in the world did those wise men get there I don't have any idea They looked up in the sky And they started following a star You say why would they look up in the sky And start following a star I don't have any idea I just know that God came down And then that boy went to the ascetic community And he lived 30 years Under the tutelage of his father Under the tutelage of John the Baptist under the tutel- tutelage of the, the Hasidic Jews and he learned the ways of the Essenes and he learned the ways of the Jewish men and women. He went to the temple at 12 years old and he confounded the rabbis. You say how did a 12 year old confound a rabbi? I don't have any idea. I just know God came down and then he lived 30 years and he went down to the River Jordan at Beth Barah. He went down and John looked up and said my God it's him. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You say how did John know that it was him? I don't know. I just know God came down. He got inside that water. He baptized him down. The heavens opened up. The dove of the Holy Ghost came down and landed on his shoulder. The Father in heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You say, how did the heavens open up and the dove come down and land on his shoulder? And God the Father said, this is my beloved son whom I don't have any idea. I just know God came down. He lived for three years. He ministered. He worked. He healed the blind man. I don't have any idea how he did that. I just know God came Down. He healed the lame man. I don't have any idea how he did that. I just know God came down. I know he healed the man with the withered hand. I don't have any idea how he did that. I just know God came down. And then he went into the hall of Pilate, and he was put on that block, and he was whipped, and he was beaten. You say, why was he whipped, and he was beaten? Because of my sin and your sin. You say, why didn't he call 12,000 angels that day? I don't have any idea. I just know God came down. Ladies and gentlemen, he died on that cross. You say, why did he die on that cross? For my sin and for your sin Oh, I'm telling you right now, I don't have any idea why he did that. I just know God came down. That's the first part of the gospel. Man, I think I choked on my tongue. I just know God came down. But he said the second part of the gospel is not just that God came down, but the second part of the gospel is blood flowed down. He said how that Christ died. For our sins. According to the scriptures. Brothers and sisters on that cross that day. Jesus Christ walked up Golgotha's hill. Upon his back a 33 and a half pound patobellum crossbar. Stripped down to the bare bones of human uh, indignity. He marches up on that cross. All he's got wrapped around him is a purple robe. And a crown of thorns plaited upon his head. And brothers and sisters flowing down his back. The blood flow down. You say, why did blood have to flow down? Because Leviticus tells us that the life of the body is in the blood. And the only way for life to come into you is it had to leave him. And there's only one way for life to come out. The blood had to be shed. They took him to that cross. They took his hands and they took the right hand and through the median nerve of the right hand, they stuck that nine inch Roman spike splitting the median nerve in half so every time that any pressure was applied, it applied the the lightness of over 40,000 volts of shooting electricity through his body and the blood flowed down. They took his left hand, stretching it as far as it would go and nailed it to a cross and the blood flowed down. They lift him up from that cross, putting his feet and crossing them at the ankle bones and nailing him to the cross and the blood flowed down. And then all of a sudden, they looked at our Savior in the eyeballs. And they said, if you are the Son of God, get off the cross. Command the angels. And he cried one phrase. Father, forgive them. Because we don't know God in the New Testament by what he does. We know Him by what He says. Yes. Amen. Father, forgive Him. And the blood flowed down. The Bible says He bows His head and He gives up the ghost. They take that Roman spike and they pierce Him under the ribcage. Going through the pericardium of the heart. The Bible says that water and blood flow out. Do you know why water and blood flow out? The reason He had to be split in the side... You see, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Jewish nation is written upon the palm of the hands. You and I aren't written upon the palm of the hands. We're that engrafted branch. And The only way for a branch to be grafted in is it has to be grafted in through the side. He was pierced in the side for you and me. The gospel is the blood flowed down. But then Paul goes in. He said the gospel is not just that God came down and that blood flowed down. But he says number three, and that he was buried according to the scriptures. The third part of the gospel is love walked in. I've been processing this all day, John Stanley. Why in the world would the burial be a part of the gospel? Why would God make the burial of Christ a part of the gospel? Do you know why? Because everything that Jesus did for you and me, he tasted the worst of it so you and I would only have the best of it. And when he walked into that grave, the reason that the burial is a part of the gospel, and I hope the Holy Ghost will let me get this out like he put this in. The reason that the burial is a part of the gospel is because the darkest that death ever will be was that day when they put Jesus inside of the tomb. And when he walked out of the grave, you realize there was light shining on the inside of that tomb. It's a prophetic picture. Now, anybody in Christ that goes inside the tomb, they don't go into darkness. My God, they walk into the light of the presence of God. And now because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Death is not darkness to the sign of God. It is an entrance into the presence of God. Death is not darkness into the oblivion. It is an open door into the presence of the Savior. And that's the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is that love sealed in. And took the worst of death, hell, and the grave. That's the gospel fourth part of the gospel is this. Not just that God came down and the blood flowed down and that love walked in. But the fourth part of the gospel, Paul says, is that hope walked out. Amen. He said, and that he was raised again. The third day. According to the scriptures. I've got a wild imagination. Let me speak this as fast as I possibly know how to speak this. You know you preach too long when you get out of church and every restaurant in Burlington is closed and you are resorted to the Waffle House. So I'm going to do my very level best tonight to get out of here so fast. They're going to pack this stuff up and this country redneck is going to make his way to the high class Olive Garden. Say amen right there. It's happening. I can feel it inside of my spiritual bones right now. Here's what happened on that day. You see, on that day, at the breaking of that day, that day those demons were dancing outside of that tomb in the spirit world. The demons were having a party. Those Roman guards were on guard as usual and all of a sudden something happened. I don't exactly know how it happened. I'm just telling you it probably happened a little something like this. I don't know if life started moving on the inside of the grave or if it started moving on the outside of the grave first or it could have happened at a simultaneous moment but all of a sudden the Holy Ghost in the Shekinah glory he made his way around that Roman seal. He walked inside of that tomb and when he got inside of that tomb he found a body that had not decayed as of yet. He looked at that undecayed body, the holy body. You know why the body of Jesus had not decayed yet? You remember Lazarus was in the tomb and after four days he already stank. Do you know why the body of Jesus had not even begun to stink yet? Because you can't stink when you do not have the power to be overtaken by death. Jesus did not die by the power of death that day. He gave up his own ghost and therefore death has never had power over the Lord Jesus Christ. Honey, the the Holy Ghost walked into that tomb and he got down inside the ears of the Lord Jesus and he said arise my love arise it's time to lift your eyes and all of a sudden the feet of Jesus started moving and the hand of Jesus started moving and the heart of Jesus started moving you say wait a second I thought they pierced his heart How did a pierced heart start beating again I don't have any idea I just know that day that the heart of the Lamb of God started beating and it ain't stopped beating ever since that day and his arms started shaking and his legs started shaking he got up out of that grave the Holy Ghost looked at God the Son and he said it's good to see you again it's good to see you again he walked out of that tomb there was an angel on the outside he rolled that stone away and when that stone started rolling away the earth started shaking and the sun started rising he went out and here's what the Bible says he stayed at the tomb until his people came because when Mary comes He's waiting on her. I've often thought, what did Jesus do between the time he got up and when Mary got there? I've often wondered what the conversation looked like. You see, the Bible says that the angel was waiting on the tombstone. You know they talked to each other. And I can't help but wonder if the same angel that ministered to him after his temptation wasn't the same angel that showed up at that tomb. I ain't got no Bible on that, but I think it. And I wonder if Jesus looked at him and said, I told you so. I can't prove that. I can't prove it at all. But I know the gospel is this, that God came down, the blood flowed down, love walked in, and hope walked out. And tonight we sit here with hope in our heart, not because we have a dead Savior but because our God is alive. I'll give you three things. I'll load them up. Verse number one, give them to you. You write them down. Fellas, y'all preach them later. I'm just going to try to encourage somebody. What does it mean now that the gospel is in place, now that we have the good news of the gospel? What is so special about the message of the gospel? Number one, it's a personal message. You say, where do you get that? Watch what Paul said in verse number one. He said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you. He could have said, I declare unto the church. But he said, I declare unto you. Can I help somebody? God ain't talking to them. God is talking to you. God ain't worried about them in your life. He's worried about you in your life. I'm glad he's a personal savior. Our God doesn't have numbers on a poll. Our God doesn't have letters on a list. Our God knows you and our God knows me. My God cares about me and the God of heaven cares about you. He says I want to know what you are going to do with the gospel. I want to know what you are going to respond to the gospel. I want to know how you are going to listen to me. I want to know how you are going to live your life. I want to know how You are going to act in your marriage. I want to know how you are going to act in your home. But my wife, God said, I'm worried about your wife in your life. I'm worried about you. I'm not worried about your husband, how he acts. I'm worried about you. You see, the gospel is a... Personal message Stop trying to blame everybody else For your problem Stop trying to blame everybody else For your situation Stop trying to blame everybody else For every excuse that you've got For the reason you act the way Now the reason you act the way you act Is because you need an issue Handled with God Almighty And God has come tonight To deal with you and your problem He didn't come to talk to them About their problem He didn't come to talk to them About their problem God is interested in you I got two kids. And there's only one blessing to having two kids. Now, there's a lot of blessings, but there's only one that I like. I got two. I got a Mason, and I got an Ella. And on any given day, either one of them could be full of the devil. (laughs) And you always know which one's full of the devil. Because the other one starts crying. And the little one is getting some age and wisdom about her. And used to her big brother would do all the damage. But I've seen some tears flow out of that boy's eyes one or two times over the last several months and weeks and one of them will come to me and it never fails. Whenever me and my sister were growing up, if I would hit her and she'd start crying, going to run to my mama, I'd say, no, 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 hit me back, hit me back, hit me back. Anybody else do that? Yeah, don't tell mama, just hit me back. Not this generation. They done got him a big old tattletales. What they done got him? And they run, daddy, 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 daddy. And the other one is hot on the trail. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And I'll say, stop. Let me talk to you. And this is my favorite part of being a father. The one I'm talking to will go. But he, but she, I'll say, stop, I'm talking to you. I'll deal with them when I get done dealing with you. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly what God is trying to help somebody with tonight. God ain't interested in how they did you. God is interested in how you are responding to what they did. To you. And tonight, if you've never been saved, stop blaming a preacher. Stop blaming a church. Stop blaming your mama. Stop blaming your daddy. Give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ because the gospel is a message to you. It's a personal message. Number two, it's not just a personal message, but Paul goes on in verse number one. And he says it's a transforming message. He says, I declare unto you the gospel. Circle that word gospel in your Bible because it literally means good news. I'm not an intelligent person. Don't say amen. Be quiet. (laughs) Jeremy, I don't even know why they let you in the building. But this is what I got to thinking, Jason Dowdell. That's your church member now. That used to be my church member. That's your church member now. And that's your problem now. If you can handle that tomorrow night, that would be great. (laughs) I got to thinking about something. If he has to declare good news, he must be trying to overwhelm the bad news. Because... If you're only focused on the good news, that's because they ain't no... Am I the only one that there could be a thousand people for you? But when there's one person against you, what do you think about? If you think about the thousand, would you write a book so the rest of us could read it? (laughs) Yes, sir. I can have a thousand people, a thousand people for me. Do you know what I'm worried about? Where does so-and-so go? All we focus on is the bad news. Paul said, I've come to declare unto you the good news so that you forget about the bad. So what's the bad news? It's simple. The bad news is this, that as sinners, we are cut off and alienated from the God of heaven. We've got no ability to get to God. We've got no ability to connect to God. We've got no ability to get in contact with God. But he said, I have come to declare unto you the good news. You can forget about the fact you're cut off from God. Because when you were cut off from God, God came to where you were. And he has tried to reconnect himself Back to you. He said, I want you to focus on the good news. And the good news is it's going to be okay because God has come down and He's paid for your sin. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil is a liar. And somebody in this building needs to stop forgetting about what you used to be. Stop thinking about the bad news of yesterday and start thinking about the good news of the gospel that God has come to you. It's a transformative message. It'll take you out of the bad news. Put you, there's some bad people in this room. But I'm telling you, if you knew the bad people in this room, you probably would hold your purse a little closer. If you'll notice, they ain't even chapstick in my pockets. I don't trust not narrow one of you. No. You see, in this room, the, devil, the devil's got a whole lot of ammunition. If we're not careful, all we'll focus on in our lives is the bad news. But the gospel says, God came. The gospel says, blood flowed. The gospel says, love went in. And The gospel says, now you have hope. Can I give you the third one? Because I never thought about this one until this afternoon. And I've been chewing it all the way to church. Number three. The gospel is not just a personal message. It's not just a transforming message. It's a stabilizing message. Watch what he says at the end of verse number one. He says wherein ye have received. And wherein ye stand. What in the world does the gospel have to do. With my stand. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is the bone structure. Upon which the muscle of faith is wrapped around. It is that which holds up your faith. When the weight of doubt comes against it. How? Here's how. The gospel tells us. When Jesus came to us in our worst moment to deliver us, will He not come to us in every other moment to deliver us? The gospel says if God left heaven to deliver those that hated Him, how much more will He step out of heaven to deliver His children? He says, because of the gospel, you can stand. When troubles come against me, and I feel so overwhelmed. When it seems the more I try giving, my troubles seem to swell. When I've left, the gospel says, when I wasn't looking for God, and He came to me. As a child now when I go looking for him, will he not let me find him? I'm getting too old to play hide and seek. But back when Mason and Ella were just kids, I mean just kids. They probably don't even remember this. And Ben's getting ready to live through this with a a baby they just had. We would play hide and seek in the house. And kids are the easiest things to hide from. All you got to do is go in a dark room and close the door with the lights off. Because what they'll do is they'll open the door, see it's dark, stop looking in there, and go somewhere else. And my kids have got the patience Of an unmedicated gnat. (laughs) They would get to crying. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Where are you daddy? And I'd have to come out of hiding. But I never came out of hiding. Until I said. I'm in here. Come find me. And I'd make them walk into the darkness. To let them know. That I was in there. And they were safe. If God came to you in the darkness of your sin. When you hated God. Now that you're a child of His. God may be calling to you. From the darkness. And God's not going to come out of the darkness until you have enough faith in your heart. To walk into the darkness and say God. I know if you came to me in my sin, I know you'll be found of me now. That is the gospel that we stand in.